Well, I guess I'll start off our, our series about loving God and loving people and creating a culture of caring for people. And uh, this morning's series is, or this morning's topic is going to be a key for caring for people. And we'll find out what that is. It's a key. It's not the key. So there is more. Um, but it's, it's, it's about a culture. It's about more than just caring for somebody because you're supposed to care for somebody. It's about a culture. And I'm going to explain the culture a little bit to begin, just kind of to dive us into this series. Um, so it, if you guys want to turn to Ephesians 1, it's going to be at the end of the chapter is where we'll start a little bit into that, into that culture. But in order for us to care for those around us, those that we come in contact with every day, the people that, the visitors that show up at church, the people at work, the people in the store, the people God lays on our heart, uh, we first, there's a key that we have to be okay with ourselves before we can be okay to help anybody else out. So we must be able to understand our identity as children of God, as children of a good father. A lot of, everybody knows how to be a child. Um, unless, of course, uh, you would have grown up an orphan or whatever. Um, but we know, most of us in here, I don't think I know of anybody that didn't grow up in a home, know what it is like to be a child. Not everybody might know what it's like to be a child of a good father. Um, so in order to have confidence to share the love that's spelled out in Mark 12, Matthew 22 and Luke 10, where it says, where he gives us the, the greatest commandment to love God and love people in order, uh, to share the love that's spelled out like that, we have to be able to love ourselves. Uh, we have to know our identity and live from that. So before I dive in, I want to, um, I want to go, and I, I just want to uh, make a quick point about a, something that stuck out to me in the scriptures, and it's, it's in each of the pas passages in Mark 12, 30 and 31, Matthew 22, 37 and 40, 10, 27, where we read about uh, the greatest commandment, love God and love people. So in each of those passages, Jesus gets asked a question about what is the greatest commandment. And you can almost kind of sense his frustration in receiving the question. And here's where I'm going with it. It says, so everywhere in Jesus' teaching and preaching, he's constantly declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the father has sent his son to redeem his children, and that the father is accessible in relationship. So those things have very very little to do with something we can gain or accomplish as far as stuff that we have to go out and do uh, and have a lot more to do with receiving and believing. In each of these passages, especially I like how Luke puts it, um, that it was a lawyer who asked the question. So a lawyer is somebody that's concerned about the law uh, and, and, and in the other two, it was, it, he was described as a Pharisee or a scribe that asked the question. So here's the point. So when we're influenced by religion, or by the spirit of religion, 
even when Jesus is right in front of our face, we're still concerned about commandments and what do I have to do? When the Lord's declaring that he has taken care of all of it and he is taking care of all of it, I'll just come be with me and I will transform you. So when we're under religion, we're constantly thinking, what kind of commandment do I have to accomplish now? What do I have to do? What I, pride. Um, so that's just quick, that was a quick thought that, that hit me when I was going through this. So let's not get so wrapped up with commandments, but let's get wrapped up with knowing him and knowing what he's saying. So in, the, uh, so in this series, what we wanna to touch on is uh, what it is like to live in a, in a heavenly kingdom culture and to grow that culture here on earth. Uh, so what do we believe about the gospel? Uh, what do we see as our purpose as God's children and citizens of heaven? And so there's a little uh, a backstory or kind of to set the context for, for our, our beliefs today. Um, I'm gonna speak a little bit about fundamentalism just really quick, how that came to be, why that influences a bunch of our thinking today. So, take you back 150 years, late 1800s, there was a movement in German liberal theology that began to attack fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. Uh, Christian faith. Uh, so these, and it, it mainly happened in seminary, the, uh, places where people were, um, you know, always questioning, testing, whatever. Um, so they, they started posing some questions and, and statements and beliefs that uh, the bodily resurrection never happened. It was just symbolic or it was just some kind of illusion, um, something that happened. And another one was that people were not inherently sinful. They were actually inherently good. Um, the Bible is filled with errors. It's not God's word. And Je Jesus didn't really have to die for our sins. Um, he was basically a victim. Uh, and rather than laying down his own life, he was just a victim of the times, of the culture, of whatever. Um, so those were the key points of Christian fundamental beliefs that were getting tested by, by people in high up in, in, in religious society or whatever. So, so they were attacking the, the fundamentals. So good, godly people rose up to defend these fundamental truths. So they developed a series of documents uh, on the fundamentals of Christian faith. And this became known as fundamentalism. But this was not intended to be a holistic picture of the Christian story. It was simply a response needed at a time to respond to the attacks coming from liberal theology on key points of Christian faith. Uh, so now fundamentalism is what evangelic, uh, evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, a bunch of those things grew out of fundamentalism. So part of that thinking about a part of the gospel that was written down, that was, that was nailed down by, uh, by those people, but forgetting about the other parts of the gospel. 
So the whole Christian story begins with creation. And then the fall. And then redemption. And then finally our future after that. So a a belief exclusively based off of fundamentalism uh, pretty much chops off the front part, chops off the back part. And uh, what we're left with is just the middle. So fundamentalism was needed at the time. Uh, just, just like a bunch of things. I mean, so when I discovered guacamole, it was awesome. I loved it. But what would happen if I discovered that and that's all I ate for the rest of my life? It was, it's good for a time and it's needed and it's good, but there's more. There's more to the story. So it's not meant to become our whole scope on the purpose of on the earth. So the gospel was basically through this reduced to this, that you're a sinner, you need salvation, and the gospel gets really good when you're dead somewhere else. All right? So the whole story began to get distorted through people, you know, when something is in your face all the time, that, that kind of starts being the thing that is in your mind a lot. You grow on that, and we forget all these other things besides. So it was unintentional. It was needed, but it unintentionally became the, whole, the major scope of the picture. So um, it's kind of like this also. So uh, I, I don't enjoy watching shows, series on TV or whatever. Cheryl really enjoys it. I, uh, I, I, and then every once in a while, you know, she's watching it, she's in this, she's followed the whole story along. And I'm like, sometime we're, uh, I don't have anything to do, I'll watch an episode with you. So I'm in there, we're watching, 10 minutes goes by, he's like, hey, who's that guy? Where's he come from? What's his point in this story? And then she's got to explain all this stuff and, and all this stuff, she loses all the joy out of watching it and following along in the story. <laughs> Later, you know, uh, goes by a couple weeks and I'm sitting there thinking and my uh, busy mind or whatever, I'm like, hey Cheryl, whatever happened to that guy that, uh, <laughs> that in that story, in that movie, in that show? And she's like, well, you know, it's awesome that they, they, if you would have kept watching, they would have resolved it all and you would have been able to see it and see what the finished work was. So I get pieces of it, but there's a grand picture. So this culture, Ephesians 1, verse 19 to 23. I'm gonna read it. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. These next two verses are the ones I really wanna focus in on. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things, all things under his authority. 
under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So every square inch of this earth is to be put under Christ's authority, not just church culture. Our whole cultural, this is where we're gonna get into, a, I don't know, some patriots who might believe in separation of church and state might not agree here. That's not what the Bible preaches. Culture, kingdom culture is meant to break in. And so we, Christ is a redeemer. We are to be like Christ. We are to be redeemers of this earth. We are of this earth. We were created for this earth. I know this because if we were created for heaven, we would have started off there. We were meant when given dominion over this earth. So we are meant to break into culture, redeem all things back to him, like the Bible shares in Ephesians. So every square inch, everything you see on a daily basis is meant to be under Christ. It's not what we see, but is what we are called for. So our purpose, and this is moving into the future part of the whole story, we're not only meant to be sinners and then redeemed by Christ, our purpose from there is to create and redeem culture on every square inch of this earth. If we don't tell the whole story, we basically only point to people's brokenness without revealing their purpose on the earth and we become irrelevant if we have no purpose. And they also won't ever know why they were born. You know, people always ask questions, you know, why was I born? We know. So what we do after salvation is just as important in the gospel as salvation itself. The gospel is not just salvation, but it is the redemption of all things unto, uh, unto Christ. So the topic this morning and what we're gonna, and I'm, don't worry, I'm not just now starting. <laughs> but uh, so the, more, uh, the part of the series we'll be touching on is a key to caring for people as part of the greatest commandment, love God and love people. Now I said a key, it's not the only key, is a key. So what is the, the key that I wanna talk to you guys about today that might help us care for people around us better inside and outside of the church. It's confidence. But this isn't the confidence that in the sense of arrogance, but it's the confidence that comes from knowing our identity and our security in Christ. The definition of confidence reads like this, and this is the first definition uh, that, that describes more of the arrogant, prideful type of confidence. That's not what we're gonna talk about, but that one is a feeling of, or consciousness of one's power, powers or of reliance on one's circumstances. The one I wanna to touch on is the second definition, it is the quality or state of being certain. That sounds a lot like faith. 
the state or quality of being certain. So what can we be certain of? Philippians 1.6 says, be, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this confidence is like a spring, like, like a well that wells up inside of us. And when we know and when it becomes a part of us, when it becomes our fuel, when it becomes what begins to drive us, that is when we begin to see fruit. When we know that Christ is in us and God is in Christ, John 17, 23, is when it becomes a part of us and not just what we've heard. So from that place of knowing, we're equipped to be able to love others from a position of peace and rest instead of obligation. Um, and then is when we begin to see the real fruit manifest because we actually believe the message. And that message is then empowered by our faith. See, if we, if we begin to share things and we don't have a grasp of it ourselves, it's never gonna resonate with anybody. If, if we don't have that confidence, that faith built up, it, it'll be like a rocket that's meant to go to space that has no fuel in it. It'll never get anywhere. So we know that God responds to faith. We know that God responds to faith. We know that God responds to faith. It is... It is what heaven runs on, is faith. So our faith and our confidence uh, is what propels us, and it's like the sap that runs through our vine, uh, our vine that is bearing the fruit. So we are meant to, to bear fruit. We are not meant to just get saved, expect life to get good somewhere else after we die, but we're meant to bear fruit on this earth. Uh, so let's take a salesman, for example. So if a salesman has no belief in the product that he is selling, there's a slim chance that he'll ever be successful selling any of it. But when he knows that this is something that people need, and in fact, it was actually something that totally transformed his own life, then he begins to sell, sell with confidence and charisma. So charisma is a word there that we don't use very often. This word means compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. Now we know someone's life has been affected by something once they begin to act with charisma. So when we begin to take hold of this thing that's happened for us, that's happened for me, I begin to act and walk in charisma because this is real inside of me and this has been rooted deeply and it is still growing. It's not dead. It's full of life. I am full. So as a church, let's begin. Let's take hold of this thing and let's not be scared. Let's not be scared to share this thing with attractiveness with charm, with something that can inspire other people 
to plug in also. You know, we're gonna be able to reach a lot more people when they see that we have something that they want. And we know that, we know that, obviously you know that. You, want, you see somebody that's miserable all the time, you're not gonna go ask them, hey, how can I start doing what you're doing, man? I want some of what you got, that's not gonna happen. So, but there is something that, is, that does a pretty good job at sucking the life and confidence right out of us, and that is sin. So I'm speaking from personal experience. When sin is active in our lives, it steals our confidence, and that's main, probably the main reason Satan tempts us, because he knows if, his, if he can get sin to attach to us, we lose our confidence, our faith just kind of falls off, and we become completely powerless. And it's not because of Jesus, but it's because of in here, in our heads, we become powerless because we lose our faith because we are being affected by the thing or things that we're meant to be free from. And Satan will use all those scriptures to try to condemn you, put shame on you, do all that stuff. So, and it'll also keep us from sharing it with others. So we end up powerless to advance the kingdom in our sphere of personal influence. So with that, I do wanna go back to Philippians 1 verse six and read, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are currently uh, dealing with a nagging sin in your life that, sh that doesn't seem to wanna go away, press on because you will find freedom. Okay, don't ever give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. And there will be times in there, you, you, get, you get somewhere and God will use you, not because God just now is able to use you, but because you have positioned yourself in a place where you're able to be used. Okay, so don't give up. Freedom is there. There is freedom in Christ and it will find you if you press in, if you continue. So I am declaring that this morning. If there is people dealing with nagging sins in your life that you know you don't want, that God doesn't want you to have, keep going. Keep going and you will find your freedom. So I wanna end all this remembering that we are called to love people but it's hard for us to love people when we don't love ourselves. Now I walked through that, you know, I, I went through all the self-condemnation, the guilt, the shame, it's paralyzing. So learn, okay, and, and here's key, here's a big old key, the word of the Lord, the Bible. Start reading it, start reading it a lot, love it. It will grow on you. Hunger begets hunger. The more you read it, the more you'll want to read it. Books, stuff like that is great. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. So we know 
And through the, through, through the word of the Lord, supernaturally, he'll begin to reveal all the things about you, reveal how he feels about you. You're loved, you're secure, you have confidence. Christ is through you and in you. You begin to see yourself through the eyes that Christ sees you, and then you begin to be okay with yourself. You're like, this is awesome. Other people need to know this is awesome too. We begin to care, with, care for people. Christ begins to transform us into something instead of walking in an obligation. So I wanna end the message with a story that kind of sums up what it is to love others and to affect your current culture by doing that. So I heard this story this week and it was deeply impacting. So I'll try my best to relay the message. So this is a story about a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II, a POW camp in, in Japan. So Japan, it has had an honor culture, probably still does, I don't know much about Japan, have an honor culture. In war, if you surrender instead of fighting to the death, they see you as being marked with guilt and shame. So they begin to treat you almost as less than human. So you can only imagine what goes on after that at a POW camp where there's just a whole bunch of people that surrendered instead of fighting to the death. So these, these prisoners, I think there were something like 40, 50,000 prisoners in these camps. And they would, every day they would go out and they would dig and, and work through, through this, this forest, this wilderness, this jungle to build a railroad. And uh, they were planning on eventually getting it to India to you know, maybe take over India. It was called the Burmese Railroad. Um, and uh, so they would work day and night on this thing and just an awful, awful culture in this prisoner of war, excuse me, prisoner of war camp. They would, you know, low on rations. People would be, people would uh, prey on the, the weaker or whatever, take their food to just all for survival. And this was amongst all, the, all these prisoners. So one day they came back from working and uh, this was probably in just one section of the camp or something, but they, when they get back, they throw all their shovels on a pile. So the one officer, one Japanese officer counts the shovels, begins counting, realizes that they're one shovel short. So this guy gets fired up and, and says, whoever took this shovel better step forward right now or I'm gonna start killing, I'm gonna start shooting, I'm gonna kill every one of you. So nobody steps forward, you know, everybody's looking around, nobody, nobody steps forward. So this guy starts yelling, die, die, die. He's gonna start shooting and one guy steps up, says I took it. Because they were, this officer was worried they were gonna take this shovel and try to escape. So the guy steps, steps forward, says he took it. Officer commences to beat him to death right there. Um, later they come back and find the officer had miscounted the shovels. 
So all these guys come together, come to realize this guy, this was one of the only guys that really walked with Christ. He walked out his Christian life and his theme verse was no greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friends. So that one selfless act of love for those around him began to spark a revival in this prisoner of war camp. And these prisoners came together seeing their awful living situation, seeing where they're at. What can we do to make this better in here? So what they basically did was took a talent audit of what they had in their camp and come to realize that they probably had one of the most talented camps full of prisoners in probably all the world. They had philosophers and artists and leaders. So what they did, they started a university in their, in their prisoner of war camp. They taught music. They taught art. They taught ethics. They taught economics. They taught 15 languages, including Greek and Latin and Sanskrit. They went into the wilderness and figured out ways to make paint and stuff out of the vines and the branches and the trees and they'd come back and the artists would paint beautiful pictures and they would set up art displays for their, to, to, to take their officers and their captives through, captors through that they could see it. And then they went into the wilderness, into the jungle and they brought back uh, supplies to create Musical, musical instruments and they would put on symphonies for their captors and they began to affect the culture that was right among them and they brought the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of hell and they transformed it and the part of the story at the end when the war was over, everybody was liberated. They were set free. They stayed and they washed the feet of their captors. That's what can happen. That's what can happen when one person steps out with a selfless act. You think heaven cared that he lied <laughs> that he didn't take that shovel and has the power to transform so when we have it inside of us it has the power to transform the culture around us we're not meant to separate ourselves from this world, but we're meant to redeem this world. So that is the whole story. We have creation, we have, uh, we have sin, we have the fall, we have redemption, and then we have the future. So, 
I guess in closing, why don't you guys stand up and we'll close us out here. Um, remember, get in the word. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has restored us. Christ has a plan and purpose for us. Life is not meant to just get good after we die. It's meant to start looking like that right here and now. So, as we go through the week, as we, uh, and man, the Lord has been so good to us, especially recently. He has just been, has been breaking in, showing us new things, um, ministering the hearts. Take that. Take that into your workplace. Take that into your home. Because Jesus says, according to Ephesians 1, all things are mine. Your home, hey, that's mine. Your church, that's mine. Your business, that's mine too. Your political systems, those are mine. We are called to redeem this culture and create a kingdom culture. So be encouraged. You are loved. You have it in you to love those around you. Don't lose heart. Keep going and love those around you. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for blessing us so richly uh, through worship and ministry and just your gospel, the complete gospel. Father, And we declare this week to be, um, we declare this week as a time of encounter, as a time of culture-changing encounters and experiences. Father, we declare that in the hearts of your people will be planted the truth that they are walking in unity now, that they have been redeemed and restored for a purpose, and to search and seek out that purpose. So, Father, thank you. Go with us today. Bless each and every one that's sitting in here oh, because, just because you love them, just because they're your children. We pray a blessing on them and grace over our week, Father. We thank you that even when we feel like we're doing amazing, we need you as much as when we feel like we're not doing so good. So, Father, thank you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.